Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. We're drinking champagne here in the studio. <laughs> no, we aren't. But this is the first day of the new year, 2021. And the first episode. That's right. It's a good right. way to start the year. Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm not going to miss the year 2020. No, it's been <laughs> it's been a rough one. Here's to a better one ahead. That's right. That's right. Things will turn around, my friends. We're going to start the new year with something a little different. Yes, we are. This episode is the first time I'm doing a story that I didn't write. Yeah, that's cool. I've been talking for months about the audiobook I'm recording, and I finished it. Laura and I finished it. Yay! Yay! Laura was my producer with me, and I couldn't have done it without you. Thank you very much, honey. Yes, it, it's actually really cool. I think you're going to love this yeah, book. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. And sometimes I would come in the house after doing an emotional scene, and I've been out in the studio by myself, and Laura's like, you're all teary-eyed. What's the matter? And I'm like, I just did a dramatic scene, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and you would do the editing, and you would get so caught up in the story, Laura would come in the house and say, I had to read ahead to see what happened. I had to find out what happened. So this is the first book written by our friend Phil Swan. It's called The Mozart Conspiracy, and it's set in modern times. It's a mystery about finding a missing Mozart symphony that that's is worth, worth millions. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that makes for a lot of intrigue and bad guys and chasing and all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. But it starts with the prologue, and that's the story we're going to use on this episode. So the prologue is set in 1778 in Paris, and Mozart is in it, and it sort of sets up everything else that happens in the book. Exactly. But it also stands alone as its own little story. Right. That's why it makes a good story for So Says Rick. So here it is, the prologue to the Mozart Conspiracy by Phil Swan. Paris, France, June 1778. If sound could be a color, it would have been bright red. If an emotion, it would have been pure joy. If weather, this surely would have been a hurricane. One unison half note followed by two unison quarter notes exploded allegro double forte from the orchestra, thundering through the salle de suie and shaking the collective chest bone of the audience. A flurry of sixteenth notes flew from the string section with the winds and horns following in echo. Those present would later say their very breathing changed as they listened. Others would confess that what they heard was so new and unknown they actually became frightened. While still others would swear that on that summer evening in Paris God had been revealed in the tension and release of a masterpiece. The man moved like a ballet dancer as he conducted the orchestra through the lilting melody of the andante and into the third and final movement, yet another frantic allegro. With the precision of a surgeon, the maestro sliced the air with his baton as the violins raced up and down the scale like a flock of butterflies unable to find a place to land. 
Every second measure seemed to tease the audience with a false ending. Finally, many gave up on anticipating the finish and just stood up and began applauding. When it did come, it came suddenly and with no warning. And three, four. Without hesitation or prompting from the king and queen, the entire assembly came to their feet. With sweat pouring down his face, the conductor smiled to his orchestra and then turned to the audience and bowed. His smile was open-mouthed and broad. The angular, youthful face, only slightly painted and powdered, wore a smile easily and without apology. His wig was blue-white and sat high on his head with a braided ponytail that hung just to the top of his shirt-collar. His arms swung without reserve. His eyes moved continuously as if never wanting to miss a moment of the world around him. His slender, almost frail body seemed to dance freely and wildly, even when completely still. To look upon Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was to look upon pure energy. King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, though much more sedate, stood and offered their praise. The old man beside them stood but simply gazed at the young composer. The queen, seeing the reaction, whispered in her husband's ear. The king turned with concern. Doctor, did you not enjoy the program? The elderly gentleman wore a scarlet satin roglar, white silk stockings, and black buckled leather shoes, all topped off with a cocked matching scarlet felt hat, over powdered natural hair pulled back and braided. For a man of seventy-two who suffered from chronic gout, Benjamin Franklin was, by anyone's standard, dapper. "'No, Your Majesty, I apologize,' he said in perfect French. "'Quite the opposite. I am just awestruck.' Franklin began his applause. "'That was the most amazing thing I have ever been privileged to hear.' The king smiled. "'It is now time to pay our respects.' Will you join us, doctor? I would be honored, your majesty, Franklin replied. Louis, a mere twenty-four years old, stood self-assured in a lavishly adorned gold frock, ruffled at the neck and plumed at the sleeves, with silver embroidery on the breast. His wig was white and larger than any man's in the auditorium, and his face was heavily powdered, accenting his blue eyes but it was Marie Antoinette who was the focus of everyone's attention. Her floor-length cream-colored gown spanned three feet at its base and was embroidered in gold and beaded in rhinestones. The pattern was designed to accentuate the low and revealing neckline, which not so modestly showed the tops of her breasts. The diamond and ruby necklace which hugged her neck from below her chin to the top of her chest was so dense with jewels it looked to be a piece of fabric. Her flawless face was heavily powdered and highlighted with a hint of rouge on each cheek. But it was her hair that was the focal point of all who would see the queen. It towered two feet in height. The many braids and folds were too numerous to follow. It was snow-white and accented with a silver comb inlaid with diamonds inserted three-quarters from its zenith. The trio, flanked by numerous valets and maids, were ushered from the salle to the salon, located in the eastern wing of the palace. The musicians were happily chattering among themselves when the royal couple and Franklin entered. 
At once they fell silent and to one knee. The king and queen proceeded to the middle of the room. We thank you for the gift of music you bestowed upon us tonight. The king's blessing is upon you, and may God give you peace and health on this most blessed day. Adieu. The musicians remained kneeling as the royal couple turned to depart. Franklin, standing off to the side, continued smiling at the musicians, shaking his clasped hands in front of him in a gesture of triumphant congratulations. A small man stood wringing his hands three feet from the king. With his head down, he stepped forward. "'Your Majesty, I am Jean Lecroix, director of the Concert Spirituel. Thank you for honoring us with your presence on this opening of the concert series.' Louis stopped and turned. "'Monsieur Lecroix, we thank you for the gift of music you bestowed upon us tonight.' The king's blessing is upon you, and may God give you peace and health on this most blessed day. Adieu. Legrand smiled awkwardly and stammered as the king and queen once again began to move away. Th -th Thank you, most gracious majesty. As always, you are too kind. But if I may, your majesty and your highness, before you depart, be allowed to present to you the composer of the work you are tonight. Legrand turned and motioned quickly for Mozart to approach. Mozart walked slowly from the corner of the room where he'd been standing. Legrand, irritated with Mozart's casualness, gritted his teeth and as covertly as possible motioned for him to kneel. Mozart reluctantly complied. I might add, most modestly, of course, it was I who commissioned the piece you heard tonight. I felt the king and queen would enjoy something new for this opening. The king sighed heavily, approached the young composer, and said once again, but this time with waning enthusiasm, Monsieur Mozart, we thank you for the gift of music you bestowed upon us tonight. The king's blessing is upon you, and may God give you peace and health on this most blessed day. Adieu. As the king and queen began to leave, Mozart, still kneeling, spoke. What exactly please you? An audible gasp echoed through the salon. The king looked back at the composer and raised one heavily stenciled eyebrow. You spoke, monsieur? Yes, Mozart said, looking up. What exactly please your majesty about my work? A mortified Legras jumped in. Your Majesty, please excuse the impotence of Monsieur Mozart. He does not wish to. Yes, I do, Legras, Mozart interrupted. I want to know what the king enjoyed. He said the same thing to me as he did to you and the rest of the orchestra. I'm left wondering if he slept through. Your Excellency, Legras begged. I ask for your forgiveness for... The king shot up his hand for silence. He stepped close to Mozart's bowed head and glared down at him. Never taking his eyes from Mozart's skull, the king removed a pewter snuff-tin from his vest, retrieved a pinch with his thumb and index finger, delicately placed it beneath his nostrils, and inhaled. The room was silent, anticipating the wrath of the notoriously quick-tempered king. 
The king closed his eyes, enjoying the rush of the stimulant. When he opened them, it was with a broad smile, which blossomed into a yellow toothy grin that erupted into a shrill, almost effeminate laugh. At first no one was sure if the king's amusement was genuine, so only an uneasy smattering of laughter pecked through the room. But as it became clear that it was genuine, all roared, all except for Mozart, who remained motionless before Louis. Monsieur Mozart, I shall excuse your rudeness, because you are not from France, Louis stuttered over his laughter. But please, be aware that for displaying such disrespect to the king, I, with a mere word, could have you shot. Louis continued. When the king of France praises you, you ought to accept that praise with joy and humility, not with an interrogation. Louis looked back at his queen, who was daintily holding her hand in front of her mouth. Oh, you Austrians, you are such a headstrong people. Marie Antoinette threw her hand forward toward Louis in a gesture of coquettish denial. Mozart, still kneeling with his head down, replied calmly, Yes, your majesty, please accept my sincere apology. It was not my intent to show disrespect. I thank you for your kind words and your kind forgiveness of my— Mozart swallowed hard as if he was about to choke. Stupidity. Louis continued his belly laugh, only half hearing Mozart. Very well, <laughs> adieu. The king and queen turned and once again began their departure, laughing and whispering to each other as if sharing a private joke. Mozart, keeping his head down, stood, turned around, and walked back to the corner of the salon. Throughout the bizarre exchange between Mozart and the king, Franklin's eyes never wavered from the brash young composer. In his two years in France he had never witnessed such open, face-to-face -face hostility toward the king and queen. "'Your Majesty and Your Highness,' Franklin said, with your permission, I would very much love to stay for a while and tour some of this beautiful palace. That is, of course, if it meets with your approval. The Louvre is yours, doctor, and I'm sure Monsieur Le Grand would be honored to show you around. Is that not correct, Le Grand? Indeed, your majesty, Le Grand responded. Good. I look forward to seeing you again soon, doctor. I know we still have great matters of importance to discuss between our two lands, but for now, enjoy the rest of your evening. And for the last time, I trust, we wish you all adieu. And with that, King Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette, with maids steadying her hair, left the salon. Le Grand leaped before Franklin. Doctor! "'Tis my privilege to show you the Louvre. "'Monsieur Legras, you are too kind. "'But I was wondering if I might wander around on my own. "'I just love experiencing the grandeur of such a magical place like this in solitude. "'Tis one of my many little peccadilloes. "'As you wish, monsieur. "'I shall be available if you need me.' "'Actually, monsieur Legras, Franklin begged. There is one thing you can do for me. 
I would very much like to speak to Monsieur Mozart. Mozart, Monsieur? The request noticeably petrified Legras. Yes, Franklin answered with a smile. As you wish, Monsieur. Legrand walked over to the corner of the salon where Mozart was gathering his music. Franklin watched as Legrand shook his finger in the composer's face, obviously chastising him for the incident with the king and warning him to behave himself with this next encounter. Mozart nodded dutifully, approached Franklin, and kneeled. Franklin looked down, let out a chuckle, and then spoke in German. Herr Mozart, please rise. I am no one's royalty. Mozart looked up, surprised. Monsieur, you speak my language. I do. A very beautiful language it is, too. Now please stand up. My hearing is not what it used to be, and conversing with the top of a man's head is, well, just odd. Mozart stood. The two were eye-level, though Mozart seemed taller due to his lanky build. Franklin continued in German. Your composition was extraordinary. May I inquire as to its name? Mozart's eyes widened, and he grinned as he spoke. I call it Symphonia a Ten Instrumenti. Did you really enjoy it, monsieur? Franklin laughed. Yes, I surely did. Why do you seem so surprised? Mozart licked his lips nervously. You see, monsieur, this was the first time it has ever been performed. I just created it last week. Ah, I see. So that's why you were inquiring to the king what he especially enjoyed about the piece. No, monsieur, Mozart replied. I was being intentionally rude to the king. I should not have been, and I apologize to you as well. Franklin grinned. No need. I'm not French, Franklin said, changing effortlessly back to speaking French. But if I were, I would accept your apology. Back to German. There now, your, what was the word? Ah, uh, yes, stupidity is internationally forgiven. Mozart, feeling as if he was being mocked by yet another of the pompous French aristocracy, could not hold his tongue. This time he spoke in French. Monsieur, you said my composition was... That was your word? Ah, uh, yes. Extraordinary. May I ask what you enjoyed so much about it, specifically? Franklin never blinked. Specifically? Yes, Mozart replied. Specifically. Well, specifically, first, I would have to say that the expansion of the principal movements and the complete deletion of the minuet was a very interesting choice. I realize that this is France, and the minuet is often overlooked. However, you are Austrian, and being Austrian, I thought sure a minuet would be offered. It was not. That was very crafty of you, young man. Secondly, I liked the way you took into account your audience's preference for the, how shall I say it, the premier coup d'archet, with that magnificent introductory D major unison in the strings, and if I might add, the heavy participation of the winds in the first movement lends it a highly contrasted, almost concerto-like character. 
Now, as for the second movement, lovely as it was, I think I would prefer a shorter andante. But alas, you may choose to take that as the personal taste of a silly old man. The final movement, ah, oh, now that was a glorious surprise. The way you fooled us by proceeding the expected unison forte with a piano introduction by the violins, that, my young friend, was simple genius. Franklin smiled. Mozart's mouth hung open. Herr Mozart, are you quite all right? Franklin asked, tilting his head. Mozart stuttered. Ah, uh, well, uh, yes. Did you really think your dante was too long? Maybe just a shade, but please do not change it on my account. No, I shall consider it. I felt that also, a bewildered Mozart said. Monsieur, may I ask your name? Are you a composer yourself? Franklin let out a robust laugh. Oh, if only Tom Jefferson could hear you ask me that. He fancies himself a violinist and the best musician in the Continental Congress. He just loves to tell me how my musical ear is akin to that of a gnat. They are quite deaf, you see. Franklin laughed again. Oh, young man, I am not a composer. My name is Benjamin Franklin. I am from the American colonies, and I just recognize brilliance when I hear it. Mozart raised his chin and assumed a more respectful posture. He began to speak, but this time in broken English. Mr. Franklin, my English not as good as your German, for that I apologize. I also very sorry for rudeness. Please forgive, sir. Thank you for complimenting my music. It is great honor I have for you to hear it. I know some little about your America. You desire freedom and independence. These are words good. I would love to hear more about your America. Also, you not deaf as net. Franklin broke with laughter. After a moment, Mozart joined him. Franklin removed his eyeglasses to wipe the tears from his eyes. Oh, thank you, young man, and I would love to hear more of your music sometime. I would love to play more of my music for you. I can now, if you wish. Now, Franklin replied, yes, Monsieur Legrand keeps private salon. He has an original Bartolomeo Cristofori forte piano. If we could beg Legrand to let us in, I could play you my music, and you could tell me about America. Dr. Franklin, is everything satisfactory? Franklin hadn't noticed the anxious man as he approached. Thank you, Monsieur Legrand. Yes, everything is splendid. Franklin then began to do what he knew he did best. Monsieur Legrand, I have made an out. Outrageous faux pas. Legrand became even more rigid. What, monsieur, is that? I believe that I have neglected expressing to you my appreciation for such a magical evening. It is obvious that beyond the fine orchestra and this talented young composer, the real genius behind tonight's festivities is yourself. 
Was it not you, monsieur, who so expertly choreographed the entire performance this evening? Well, monsieur, I must have played a small role, Legrand replied, growing by inches as Franklin spoke. A small role indeed, monsieur. You are the whole cast. But you are far too modest to ever acknowledge any of these things yourself. Yes, I guess I am. Legras said with a faraway look. Can you ever forgive me for my thoughtlessness? Legras stood with his chest out and head high. Monsieur Franklin, I am honored. If your evening was enjoyable, then my work has been a success. It has been memorable, Franklin announced. Legras beamed. But, alas, Franklin continued with a falling tone. There is only one other thing that would have made this evening completely unforgettable. Legras's smile diminished slightly. What would that be, monsieur? If it is in my power, I will make it so. Franklin sighed. No, monsieur, I believe this request would be even beyond your incredible abilities. Monsieur, I humbly demand you allow me the chance to provide the impossible. Franklin looked at Mozart, and with his left eye, the one Legras couldn't see, but Mozart could, winked. If you insist, I have always had the desire to see and hear an original Bartolomeo Cristofori forte piano. I have heard about them, but that is all. I had some hope that I might see one tonight, but it was not to be. Perhaps you may know someone in Paris who has one. A smile slowly reappeared across Legras's face. Monsieur, I have in my possession just such an instrument. No, monsieur, you jest, Franklin exclaimed. No, monsieur, I do not, Legras exclaimed back. Monsieur, you are indeed a truly remarkable man, Legras gloated. And I can even do better than that. It just so happens that Monsieur Mozart is a virtuoso on the forte piano. Is he really? Do you think he'd play for me? Franklin scammed. He shall if I so instruct him to. Monsieur Mozart, Legras said, turning to Mozart. You will take our honored guest to my private salon. My valet will lead you. Upon arriving, you will play the forte piano for Monsieur Franklin until he instructs you to stop. Is that understood? Mozart, who was totally aware of Franklin's ruse, couldn't resist his own bit of theater. Monsieur Legrand, I was commissioned to compose a piece for the opening and conduct it. I did. Now my job is finished. I am not being paid to— Legrand lowered his head like a bull. You are lucky to be paid at all after your exhibition before the king and queen. You will do as I say, or you will never have a commission in Paris again. That, monsieur, is a promise. Mozart played the part to the hilt. It seems I have little choice. Indeed, monsieur, Legras replied. Mozart turned to Franklin and winked with his right eye, the one Legras couldn't see.
Mr. Franklin, it would appear that I am at your service. Franklin bit his upper lip to keep from smiling. Garçon, Legrand barked to the young valet waiting in the wings. Please escort Dr. Franklin and Monsieur Mozart to my private salon. The valet leaped forward, bowed, and then gestured for Franklin and Mozart to follow. Mozart whispered, Dr. Franklin, you are a conniving gentleman. Franklin, looking straight ahead, whispered back, And you, Herr Mozart, have a touch of larceny in you as well. The young musician and the old philosopher exited through the large double doors on the east side of the hall and entered the lush Tuileries gardens of the Louvre. A light rain had given way to a balmy Paris evening, and the moon reflected off a fountain in the center of the garden. The smell of rose and honeysuckle permeated the air. Oh, what a lovely night! Would you not agree, Herr Mozart? Yes, it surely is. But please, Dr. Franklin, call me Wolfgang. Wolfgang, what a delightful name! I am Ben. I am honored, Ben. So tell me, Ben, about your America. Tis a tall order, Wolfgang. Let me see. Ben put his hand on Wolfgang's shoulder as they strolled through the palatial garden. First off, it is not my America, tis all the colonists' America. I should begin at the beginning, always a fine place to start. Some years ago, a few of us got together in Philadelphia, that is my home. Oh, what a bevy we are, too! There's young Tom Jefferson. I have already told you a little about him. A fellow named John Adams, nice chap, but can be somewhat of a horse's rear end at times. Oh, but John's bride, Abigail, let me tell you about Abigail. Taking nothing away from the Queen of France, of course, Abigail possesses two of the most heavenly— Ben, Mozart exclaimed, you are a Frenchman. My young friend, Ben replied. When it comes to food or a man's loins, we are all Frenchmen. Mozart howled. Wow, Rick, you really get to play a lot of characters in this audiobook. Oh, yeah, that's, that's just the prologue, man. We really get into the characters in the story, but that's so fun to get to play all these different characters. It's like doing a play, but you're all the characters. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. And I love, I think my favorite is the, like, surfer dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I don't know, David. We may be in trouble, man. <laughs> <laughs> so where can our listeners find this audiobook? It is on Audible, audible.com. Look for Phil Swan with two N's, and it's called The Mozart Conspiracy. I hope you enjoy the book as much as I enjoyed recording it. Oh, here's something I just read last night at audible.com that after I'm finished with the book and submit it, it won't get online until about 30 days later, so be patient. And, oh, and I should probably mention, this book might be a little racy for some of my audience. There is some language in it. A couple characters drop the F-bomb every now and then, and there's some violence. But uh, after everything we see on TV, I don't think anybody's going to be too surprised by anything you hear in this book. 
All right, that's all. Have a good day, man. We'll see you next time.